Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Well, almost. We're not gonna be singing Joy to the World today. That happens tomorrow. Today is the last Sunday of Advent. We have one more day to prepare our hearts for the coming of King Jesus. One more penitential season of fasting. Our gospel lesson from Luke chapter one calls us to spend some time reflecting on another birth this eve of Christmas Eve. Not the birth of Jesus, but the birth of John the Baptist to Elizabeth. The story of John and Elizabeth's visit with Mary, it's not only an important part of the biblical narrative, but it has an important lesson to teach us today if we will hear it. The true meaning of joy. I believe this passage from Luke chapter one has two things to teach us about joy. First, that true joy is the end of pain and suffering. And second, that true joy happens when we enter into the presence of God. So before we jump into our gospel lesson, I want to go to the beginning of Luke chapter one. It is a long chapter with 80 verses and many stories. To understand this visitation moment, we have to go all the way back to Luke chapter one, verse five. If you have a Bible, open it. Uh, you can use the Bible in the pew. I'm on page 855. The Gospel of Luke starts not with Jesus, but with a priest named Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth. You heard a little bit about this couple last week, but in verse six, Luke points out that they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. This statement is quite something. Very few people in the Old Testament are described this way. We need to picture in our minds the most holy, faithful, godly people we can think of. Perhaps it's a parent or grandparent, perhaps it's a child, maybe it is a friend or a clergy person. Whoever that person is in your life, imagine them and then multiply them by 100. That is Zachariah and Elizabeth. These are special, faithful people. They've lived their whole lives for the honor and glory of God. They've done their very best to obey his word. And yet, there's a problem. Verse seven, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. In the Old Testament, children were understood to be a gift of God, a reward for people who are faithful to his word. So why then does this righteous couple not have children? Why is it that these people who walk blamelessly before the Lord are without family? For Jews in Jesus' time, the couple's infertility would have been blamed on the woman. It would have been a sign of some kind of sin, some kind of judgment. 
some kind of hidden problem. Things are not as they appear to be. Can you imagine then what it would have been like to live Elizabeth's life? To be a clergy spouse, a daughter of Aaron, an obedient Israelite, and yet the suspicion, the questions, the judgment of others, those in her community, those in her own family. We're not really sure how old they were. Luke only tells us that they were advanced in years. Some have speculated they were in their 80s. Others have said they were in their 60s. However old they are, this is a long time to live under reproach. But thanks be to God, this is not the end of Elizabeth's story. See, in verses 8 through 23, an angel appears to Zechariah while he's in the temple and announces to them that after a lifetime of pain and suffering, Elizabeth will conceive and bear a son. And not just any son, her son John, John the Baptist, will be a great prophet. He will go before the way of the Lord, prepare his way among the people. Here comes the joy. Verse 25. Elizabeth conceives and is kept hidden for five months and says, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among the people. This is true joy. The joy that is only possible when someone experiences the saving power of God in their lives. When someone's pain and suffering comes to an end by a mighty act of salvation. The joy described here is radically different than the way our culture talks about joy, especially during this festive season. In our world, joy is a sentiment. It's a feeling. It's a synonym for happiness. Joy is that warm, fuzzy feeling you get inside. It's Christmas cheer. If you don't believe me, all you gotta do is survey the many Christmas commercials that are on TV, on repeat this time of year. At risk of being labeled a Grinch, I have picked out three of my favorites to make fun of. How's this, we'll play a game. I will name them and you'll tell me the company if you've seen them or not. Give joy, get joy. That's Kohl's. Come celebrate joy through the world. Disney World. And then my favorite. It's not the holidays until the halls are decked with devices. Comcast. Now on one level, these slogans are meant to be jolly and fun. But we need to be careful. Our culture's sentimental approach to joy is subtly shaping us. See, sentiment lasts only for a little while, but it's easily forgotten. True joy, the joy of Elizabeth, is when pain and suffering are put to an end. When someone experiences the mighty power of God, True joy comes when the darkness of our lives is dispelled by the light of Christ. 
My favorite picture of this kind of joy uh, comes from J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings. If you know me, this is not a surprise. The second book at the end, The Two Towers, has this great scene when the hero, Samwise Gamgee, is alone in darkness in a cave. His friend and master Frodo has been caught and wound up in a web of a great spider, the Shelob. Sam is alone. He's terrified. He literally cannot see where he is. And then he remembers. He was given a gift. It was in his bag from the Lady Galadriel, a magic crystal that shines with the light of a star. And so Sam grabs it and holds it up in the cave, and immediately the cave is filled with light. And then something very interesting happens. Sam spontaneously bursts out in song, a hymn of praise to the gods of Middle-earth, a song just like Mary's, just like Zachariah's. See, true joy happens when God brings pain and suffering to an end. Only then are we able to sing songs of praise to God. This brings us back to our gospel reading. Now that we have the context, we're gonna jump into the visitation story beginning in verse 39. After hearing the angel's message, Mary travels to visit with her pregnant cousin Elizabeth. She wants to see for herself this thing that has happened. And we're told that as soon as Elizabeth hears Mary's greeting, baby John in her womb leaps for joy. Now, it's easy to miss this important detail in verse 44. Luke is using a unique word for joy. Most of the time in Holy Scripture, the word kara is the Greek word for joy. This is what the people of God feel when they experience God's salvation, when pain and suffering are put to an end, kara. But that's not the word Luke uses here. He uses a different word for joy, agalasis. Agalasis refers to festal joy, celebratory joy. It's the kind of joy that's used to describe worship in the temple. It's the word that appears all over the Psalms. You could look at Psalm 95 or Psalm 96 as an example. Luke has made a conscious decision to use this word to describe the encounter between Mary and Elizabeth and John. Why? Because John and Elizabeth have entered into the presence of God. Even in Mary's womb, John and Elizabeth can feel the presence of Jesus. They can feel the stirrings of the Holy Spirit. And they respond with joy. Agalasis. Commenting on this passage, the great 20th century theologian Karl Barth says this, Indeed, it is really when the Holy Spirit comes and is present that one experiences true joy. True joy happens when we enter into the presence of God. Now, in this life, on this side of Christ's second coming, we experience the presence of God in worship, 
in the proclamation of Holy Scripture, in the sacraments, in the Holy Spirit's indwelling the believer, each one of us. But this presence, though very real, is fleeting. It's often here one moment and gone the next. But there will come a day when Christ returns in glory, when all who believe in him are resurrected, when we will behold him face to face and we will know the joy that comes from eternal life in the presence of God. Do you long for that joy today? I do. I want that joy that comes from the presence of God, more than the happiness and the pleasures and the cheer of this world. But if I'm honest with you, on this fourth Sunday of Advent, I don't really feel that joy. I feel more like Charlie Brown. I think there must be something wrong with me. Christmas is coming, but I'm not happy. I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. I love that movie. If that's you today, if you're like me, you're not ready for the coming of this king, how do we experience true joy? How do we know the joy of Elizabeth and John today? Well, I want to leave you with two recommendations, two things I think that will help us enter into true joy. And let me warn you, it's probably not what you will expect. We need to lament and repent. We lament when we enter into the pain and suffering of this world. We mourn with Elizabeth, this barren woman longing for a child. And we mourn with other women who, like Elizabeth, are longing for children. We repent when we confess our sins, when each one of us admits the ways that we have contributed to the darkness of this world. We heed the call of John the Baptist on the River Jordan, repent, believe the gospel. When we lament and repent, we are prepared to experience God's salvation, the end of pain and suffering. And then we are ready to enter into the presence of God in worship. Why these things? They don't seem very joyful. They seem like the opposite of joy. Well, if true joy is the end of pain and suffering, and true joy happens when we enter into the presence of God, joy is ultimately the grace of God. True joy is a gift. It's not something we can earn or muster up by our own strength. It's not like we can just be of good cheer and be joyful. True joy is something we receive. There's a great temptation for all Christians, especially this time of year, to skip over lamenting and repenting and to go straight to joy. But in God's kingdom, the kingdom of King Jesus, lamenting and repenting are necessary to experience true joy. Because the cross comes before resurrection. Advent comes before Christmas. 
Lent comes before Easter. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I don't know about you, but I really needed this Advent season. This past year and this past few months in particular have been really difficult for my family and me. There's been a lot of challenges, a lot of tough things. I needed to spend some time reading the prophets of the Old Testament. I needed to lament and repent with the people of God, to join with Israel in their longing for a savior. And through this, I have learned to see my own pain, my own suffering in light of Christ's victory for me. I don't know where your heart is right now. I don't know how you're feeling this Christmas season, if you're feeling like Charlie Brown. But as we enter into Christmas Eve tomorrow, my encouragement to you is this. Don't embrace the false joys of our culture. Don't embrace the sentimentality. Instead, do the hard thing. Enter into your pain, your suffering. Prepare your hearts. Finish the Advent season well. Lament with Elizabeth. Give your pain to God. Repent with John. Confess your sins. And then will we all leap for joy at the coming of this baby king, this holy child. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.